On today's show, the Hawks flop at home, losing the Knicks by a lopsided margin, and really, the damage was done in the first half of this one. The Hawks could not score at all out of the gate, and the defense was much better either. Honestly, it was a two-way loss. The Hawks were out of sorts, and uh, quite frankly, it was a very disappointing way to end the first quote-unquote half of the season as the All-Star break arrives. We'll have full coverage of this game and more on the big picture coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1413 of the Locked On Hawks Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowling, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday. And today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. First-time users can have a 100% instant deposit match with prize picks up to $100. If you use the promo code locked on, that is prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. I also want to encourage you, as I always do, to make us your first listen here at Locked On Hawks each and every day. Check us out across podcast platforms, really anywhere you get your podcast. That includes, of course, places like Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as YouTube on the video side. And today's show, we'll dive into what became a very bad loss, a frustrating performance from the Hawks in a lot of different ways, 122 2-101 at home at the hands of the New York Knicks. And I will start here, honestly, coming into the day, and I even said this on Twitter, so it's not British history, I would have told you this is probably the biggest game of the season to this point for Atlanta. There is some wiggle room with that, of course. Uh, not It's not like a huge gap there, but um, honestly, because of the season series and the impact there, the Knicks were the team that was directly ahead of the Hawks in the standings, and Atlanta led New York by a 2-1 margin in the season series. So with a win, the Hawks would have number one, given the Knicks a loss. Number two, they would have gotten a win on their own. Also won the tiebreaker for the season series, and that could come into handy later on when it comes to uh, if, if, if these teams are close at the end of the season. And also end the first quote-unquote half of the season on a high note as they head into the All-Star break. Instead, the opposite happened. The Hawks were flat-out terrible, quite honestly, in the first half of this contest. They never led the entire game, and now the Hawks have played eight consecutive quarters, two straight games without having a single lead against either the Hornets or the Knicks. And with this loss... The Hawks are now 29 and 30 on the season. I think, you know, taking a step back for one second at the top of this podcast, after the DeJounte Murray trade, after all of the attention paid to that, after what was a frustrating season last year, to be sure, but still a team that made the playoffs, that still won more than they lost for the full season, going into the break at 29 and 30 without any major serious injuries is a very, very disappointing outcome for this Hawks team. Even though I was trying to sound the alarm a little bit early in the preseason about the lack of depth and how this roster wasn't just suddenly fixed, even I was much higher on this team than they've been performing to this point in the season. So uh, it's been a, a maddening run, to be sure. We'll get into this game uh, in detail coming up. But big picture, no one thrilled after this one. Lots of um, visible frustration. At the same time, you could certainly hedge some of that by saying that, look, at the end of the first half going into the break, every team is kind of gassed by now. The Hawks appear to be very tired by the end of this run. It's not an excuse. It's just kind of the reality. McMillan said that. Trey said that after the, after the game. They, call, they all kind of need this break at this point in time. So if you want to be optimistic, I wouldn't blame you. But – the results of the results, and the Hawks are now below 100 for the season after all of that. We'll get into the game now, and look, um, the result speaks for itself on some level. I will say the Knicks are pretty good, so it wasn't like you lost to the Hornets by this by this, by this margin. You know, I got some pushback the other day for talking about how the Hawks lost to the Hornets. It wasn't as bad as it might have seemed. They were, quote-unquote, only five-point favorites in that game. It was still a very bad loss, I said so on the podcast in plain terms. The Hawks, I think, played – as poorly in the first half in particular tonight than they did against the Hornets, except they were just playing a better team in the Knicks. And quite honestly, 
it was one of their worst halves of the season in the aggregate in the first half. They're, they're down by 22 points at the break. It was 28 to nine after about nine minutes. The offense just collapsed under the weight of itself. And then defensively, that sort of seeped into things. Um, as I said kind of plainly after Monday's game to the Hawks, I think the Hawks defense basically just submarine them almost on its own. They were pretty decent on offense, I thought, against the Hornets. In this game, it was both sides of the floor. I think the offense was definitely the bigger culprit early on, but it kind of bled into each other. The Hawks not, not being able to score led, led to the um, Knicks playing fast and transition and uh, just kind of fed on each other the entire game. And really, it never really fixed itself throughout this one. But in that first half, again, it was hideous on both ends of the floor. The Hawks, at least you can kind of explain away one of 15 from three in the first half as shooting variants. And probably there's probably some fairness to that. But the Hawks had a very bad shot profile. They had bad defensive transition. They were pretty bad defensively overall on the perimeter in particular, containing ball handling, et cetera. And it never really made a run the entire half. And it was just a, a lackluster performance in a lot of different ways. I will say, again, probably later on, the Hawks did play, uh, I thought, reasonably well after halftime. But the damage was kind of done. And you just could not, come, you could not come back from that hideous first half performance that they had in this game. And really, the offense wasn't good really for any point of this game. Um, they scored basically a point, a point per possession in the game. And the Knicks, while they're coached by Tom Thibodeau and they're kind of a defense-first organization in some ways, this year they've been strongly below average on defense for the year, especially without Mitchell Robinson who missed this game for New York. So this is a offense-first team, and they held the Hawks in check the entire game. In fact, the Hawks set a new season low with five three-pointers in the entire game. The previous mark was six, so it wasn't like it was a huge uh, difference there, but still also bottom three for the season in percentage. They were five of 26 from three. Uh, pretty low attempt numbers. It's crazy, and I tweeted this before I started recording the podcast, but the Hawks had five turnovers in this game. I want to emphasize that. The Hawks had five turnovers in a 48-minute game and also 64 points in the paint, but that's not a crazy number necessarily. Five turnovers in the game. Um, that is their second use of the entire season. Frankly, you don't see teams have five turnovers and lose by 21 points at home. It's because it's just hard to do that, like just logistically speaking, math speaking. I was trying to find this number, and honestly, I couldn't go back far enough. But I think unless I'm crazy, you have to go back a long time to have the Hawks losing a game by this many points while having this few turnovers. Because number one, you don't really have that many this kind of a low turnover game very often. The second fewest of the entire season, but also took care of the ball and still didn't matter on offense in this game. But they got nothing on the glass. They just didn't make any jump shots the entire game, and shot selection was a big problem, especially in the first half again, and that really hurt them on top of everything else. So. I mean, I know this is not um, a new thing to my usual listeners, but for anyone listening to the podcast for the first time, the Hawks shot profile has been a question mark all season long. And in recent days, it's fair to say the Hawks offensively have been pretty darn good for a few weeks now. And look, their personnel is really good. Trey is awesome on offense. DeJounte, like they have good personnel on offense, but the Hawks settle too often for mid-rangers and long floaters and contested mid-rangers and challenging shots. Don't, don't, don't take enough threes. In this game, the math problem, in addition to the bad shooting, really hurt them. The Hawks took 37 shots from outside the painted area, um, but also inside the arc. So 37 points, 37 shots on non-paint twos. The Knicks only took 24 of those shots. So a lot more for the Hawks in the game. In the, game. the Knicks also took 43 three-pointers, and the Hawks took 26. So even if the Hawks had shot the ball as well as the Knicks did, and they didn't in this game, to be clear, the Hawks would have lost the shooting battle because of the profile and where they took the shots from. So selection was bad. Execution was bad. And yeah, the Hawks probably weren't as bad as these numbers indicate because they just could not make a three in this game. And that's going to happen every once in a while. But 
make no mistake, the Hawks just played poorly on offense in the first half of this game in particular. Um, defensively, it wasn't good by any means, but they were better on, on defense than on offense in this game. Uh, kind of the inverse of the Monday game as a result of that. The Knicks actually didn't shoot it all that well. It's kind of crazy, again, when you normally would say, like, there's probably a little bit of shooting luck in here. And the Hawks were unlucky with their own shooting, but the Knicks only shot 14 of 43 from three in this game. That is below average. It took a lot of threes, but that's not really an excuse in this one. The, the Knicks did, though, win the glass by a wide margin, which definitely hurt the Hawks in this game. And here's the second craziest stat of the night, other than the turnover stat. The Knicks had 30 fast break points. It's hard to score fast break points when a team does not turn the ball over. And the Hawks only had five turnovers in the, in the game. But every time the Hawks had a miss, especially on a long rebound, the Knicks were running down their throats and the Hawks were bad in transition in this game. My Also, my friend Fred Katz, who covers the Knicks for the Athletic, he's been on this podcast before a couple different times, um, said in the first half that New York was getting any shot that they wanted to get. And quite frankly, he was 100% right about that. The Hawks defensively were actively bad in the first half. Was it better in the second half? Yes, they, they tried some zone. They got creative a little bit. And the results were better, but uh, it, this was a two-way loss. I think the offense was definitely worse than the defense, but the Hawks just did nothing well in this game. And you certainly, again, point to the fact that Atlanta just didn't have its legs. Nate talked about that after the game. It's not unfair to say that. I think the Hawks did play like a team that looked tired in this game. And they've been playing guys a lot of minutes for a long time and pushing really hard. And that's kind of the nature of the way this staff operates. And I don't love that approach for this for this team, but the Hawks have been trying to win every game by pulling all the stops. They don't, have, they don't rest guys. They just play really, really hard minutes. And they seem tired and they seem exasperated. And the results reflected that because, look, this is the Knicks. Like, you would think, you know, I thought Trey was fine in this game, just as an example. But you would think that the Knicks would be a team that they would get up for. Uh, it's a little bit more explainable, even if it's definitely still frustrating that the Hawks didn't play well on Monday. You could say, look, it was the Hornets. They overlooked them. That's human nature. The Knicks are, number one, a better team than the Hawks this year. Now, I think the Hawks are better than the Knicks on paper. And I think if you maybe do the season over again, I might say the, Knicks are, the Hawks are still the better team. And by the way, Vegas agrees. The Hawks were still favored tonight by, by our friends at FanDuel by four points. But the Knicks have been performing better than the Hawks did. They're not sticking up on you in, the, in that way. You're not, it wasn't like a letdown spot. This is maybe a one, two, three Cancun spot going into the all-star break, but the Hawks just didn't even get up for a game against the Knicks. It's a prominent opponent. There was a lot of people in the building, like a lot of Knicks fans, like a lot of energy and the Hawks just didn't have it in this game. And that's unfortunate to see. So long story short, does this like ruin the season? No, but it definitely, the vibes are bad right now. You're going into the break, uh, two bad losses in a row, one to a bad team and the other one in a blowout fashion. Uh, so I can say that they're, they're, they're both bad losses and the Hawks just go into the break under 500 and all that. So um, I'm not, and we'll, I'm sure we'll have more on this later on as I'm going to keep doing podcasts throughout the all-star break, but you know, the typical calls to fire name McMillan and all that stuff. I don't think Nate did a good job in this game or in the last couple of games, quite honestly, but it's a, it's an organizational thing. I think from top to bottom players didn't perform well, the staff didn't do a great job the last couple of games. It's, it's rough right now. And the frustration level, at least in my Twitter mentions and on Twitter and on social media in general, and in the building was very hot. And I don't blame anybody because these were two bad performances in a row. So we'll come back to it. We'll talk about what happened in this game, what might happen moving forward, the individual players and all that stuff. But the Hawks were healthy in this game. And they still did this at the end of the at the end of the long run in the, again, quote unquote, first half, which is more like the first 70 percent of the basketball season. All right. We'll have more on this, of course, in a second. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. 
Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories that come along with it, you have to try Built Bar right now. And one of my goals this year is to eat a little bit healthier. If you're anything like me, you want to give up the taste in the process to eat, actually, actually eat healthier. If that is anything like you, Built Bar is a perfect option at this point in time. With Built Healthy is tasty, and they're so delicious that you actually won't believe that they are good for you. They have 100% real chocolate. Yes, real chocolate on the outside. They come in a ton of awesome flavors, peanut butter brownie, cookies and cream, etc. And Bilt Bar tastes like candy bars, honestly. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar to go along with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And you don't have to wait to get them right now. In fact, for a long time, I've been telling you to get your box of Built Bars at Built.com. That's still an awesome option. Built.com has everything you're looking for in the Built Bar space. If you don't want to wait, though, you can go to the, uh, a local Sam's Club or Walmart right now. Yes, right now. Walk into Walmart, get a box of Built Bars immediately. Or if you're looking for something a little bit bigger, perhaps a 13-bar box, Sam's Club is available for you right now to get your Built Bars live and in person. Make sure to check out Built Bar right now and dive in today. All right, we'll touch on the highlights here of this game. And I said it before once, but John Collins ended up um, being questionable for this one. He came back in this game after a one-game absence with, with a hip injury, ended up leaving the game early and actually didn't return. Um, he didn't look like himself physically in this game, which we'll come back to later on. But Collins uh, was a little bit hampered by the hip, and I think also left the game with a head evaluation. Nate McMillan said after the game that they were trying to see if he was going to enter the, the concussion protocol. Bad timing there, obviously, with Collins getting a break here, as everybody does. I'm sure no one wants to have a concussion ever, but especially right now going into a, a long break. But um, no official word as of this moment in time. He never came back in the game later on. The Knicks were without Mitchell Robinson, who is a key defensive anchor with him. They actually have a pretty big split with him on and him off the floor this year. But the Hawks were favored in this game, and I think justifiably so. I think people were asking me before the game, like, why the Hawks were favored. It's basically because, look, they're playing at home. They were the healthier team. And also the Hawks, at least in the, in the market, are viewed as being as good as the Knicks. And if you say that plus home court, you're, you're going to be favored. But the Hawks again, just collapsed out of the gate. It was 12 to four in a hurry. The Hawks missed six of their first eight shots. They were down by 19 points in nine minutes. It was 28 to nine. They scored nine points in nine minutes. They were four of 18 from the floor and 05 from three. They were settling a lot on offense. Contested jumpers, both from two and from three. They, they, I think they missed seven mid range attempts in the first nine minutes. Um, the Knicks weren't even that hot, honestly. They were 5-12 from three, which is a decent number, but they took a lot of threes, made a lot of them, and it was it was just flat-out terrible from the Hawks in the first nine minutes of the game. And, by the way, they were down 19 points in nine minutes. The rest of the game, they were minus two, and that's including garbage time. The Hawks were basically as good as the Knicks in this game after the three-minute mark of the first quarter, which you can't just afford to do. There's a price to be paid for playing that poorly for that long, and the Hawks were just unable to dig out, dig out of that hole. But it was really just the first nine minutes if you want to sort of isolate one period of time. And uh, to the rotation quickly here, the first sub was a surprise, even to me. Um, as someone who tries to think through a lot of different things and be level-headed, I was not anticipating Aaron Holiday as the first sub in this game. My best guess, which I did say in real time, was that they were trying to jumpstart something and had Aaron come in. They were already down by 15 or so when he came in the game and throw some on-ball pressure against Jalen, against Jalen Brunson, etc. I asked McMillan after the game, and he said essentially exactly what I just said. And I knew he was going to say that, but I, I had a feeling. Um, and I don't agree with that decision. I probably don't hate as much as Hawks fans do, but uh, it was definitely like just trying to be a little bit desperate there and throw something out there that would change the, uh, change the vibes. Um, it didn't work. Uh, and honestly, I would have lost a bet or two on Aaron Holiday playing at all in this game, much less being the first sub. So uh, that was a weird one for sure. He only played, like, I think, four minutes in the first half, never came back in the game. And uh, that was uh, questionable slash interesting rotation point number one. After that, it was Bogey and Akongwu as usual. And then Sadiq Bey was the first guy on, on the four line coming in uh, before Griffin or Johnson did. 
Uh, also, the first appearance for Sadiq Bay in front of the home fans. I'm sure he enjoyed that. Um, AJ came in after that, shortly after. They used a zone extensively in this game, especially when they were playing the Akongwu small ball lineup with, uh, with Young, Griffin, Bogey, Bay, and Akongwu. And that zone was interesting. It was more effective than not. But rebounding-wise, I'll just do this now. Um, a Sadiq Bay, a Kongwu front court has just no chance to rebound. Zero. And even more so when you're playing zone. Because zone defenses, historically, teams can't rebound in zone. And that's kind of why they don't play zone a lot in the NBA in a lot of ways. There's definitely there's different reasons for it. That's one of them. And uh, you throw in the fact that a Kongwu is a bad rebounder, at least on defense, at the five. And then you throw in Bay, who's more of a small ball option at the four. Poor rebounder. You throw in Hunter, same thing if he wasn't out there at that point anyway. But AJ Griffin, same thing. Bogey's not a great rebounder. They just have no chance to rebound with that group. There was a steal from Trey, actually a nice play at the end of the first quarter, a nice pass to Bogey at the buzzer to get within 16. But uh, other than Trey, and I think maybe Hunter played decently well, there was not a whole lot to speak of in that first quarter. They stayed with that small ball unit a little bit longer with DJ instead of Trey. It uh, didn't work. They were down by 20 again. And at, at that point, the Hawks actually um, were 0 of 10 from three, and the Knicks were 8 of 20. So they were minus 24 points at three-point line in like the first 15, 16 minutes of the entire game. That is a ridiculous number. Um, and uh, that was uh, certainly bit them. They did have one great possession in the first half that I wanted to circle. They had um, a, a possession where multiple guys drove and kick unselfishly. There were decisive passes and finally a swing pass to Hunter for a three. And that cut the lead to down to 15 points. And it was like, all right, the Hawks are alive again, but that didn't last. Uh, Murray got popped in the, in the face actually with the Jericho Sims elbow with like three minutes to go. Ended up being reviewed for a flagrant. It was uh, not upgraded. It was a ruled a common foul. Murray ended up having to come out of the game and was questionable to return with a lip laceration. Ended up coming back in the game, so hopefully he's okay. But um, they played actually Murray. Uh, sorry, they, uh, they played Bay at that point. So it went from Bay playing the four to some combination of Bay and Hunter at the two and the three. <laughs> kind of a weird, kind of a weird lineup there next to Capella, Capella and Collins. But it was better than the first quarter, but it wasn't. It wasn't very good. The first half, as a, again, as I said before, was just so uniquely terrible. The Hawks had, a, had a, an 88 offensive rating in the first half. Um, again, really hard to do that when, when you're not turning the ball over a lot. And then uh, 22 fast break points in the next in the first in the first half, just jarringly bad along the way. The Hawks did have some runs in them in the second half, an 11 to two push at the start of the third quarter to get back within 13 points. The Knicks didn't score on four times in a row down the floor. And that was also what the Hawks had to have. Again, like it's hard to come back from down 18, 20 at the half and still get back into the mix. But what you need to do immediately is throw a haymaker. And the Hawks did that. Um, actually got technical fouls, two of them in like two minutes to go. Um, within, uh, you know, Hunter got one, which is a rarity for him. And then Murray got one as well. Weird stuff there. Um, the worst part about that run, though, besides technical fouls, was that Collins was visibly grimacing after a hard fall on a fast break. Didn't seem to be moving very well. And then right after that, he got a head-to-head uh, -head contact with Julius Randle and left the game. And again, the Hawks said he had a head violation and he never uh, had a valuation, I should say, and never returned. Um, Nate did acknowledge that, that was when the play happened. I think we all kind of knew that um, instinctively, but it was when he collided with Randle and uh, no foul called, all that stuff. But um, Collins, hopefully, fingers crossed, is okay by the time the Hawks return to action uh, next week. The Hawks were chip chipping away a little bit. They got within 11 at one point, for the first time since it was 19 to 8, a nice finish by AJ Griffin at the rim at that point in time. The Hawks were still down by 15 points at the end of the quarter. They played well in the third, honestly. Like, I would say legitimately good basketball the majority of that quarter. They won it by seven points. They were still down by 15 because they had played so badly in the first half. And uh, the zone was, uh, you know, pick or poison kind of on defense for the Hawks. In the fourth, 
a couple of big swings. The Hawks did get uh, one in their favor, actually, when the Knicks missed a shot and actually would have been a pretty easy dunk that they passed up. Bogey had a three, it was back to 13. But then the Knicks got to the line three times in a row in pretty effective fashion. There was one, it seemed like the like the Hawks should maybe challenge that they actually didn't uh, challenge that. It was back to 18 by that point. And then the offense at the same time as the foul fest and the defensive issues only scored two points in about three and a half minutes at a very bad time. And then Josh Hart, who just got to New York from Portland, hit a three with like six minutes to go. That went up by, I think it was like 19 at that point in time. It was basically over from there. I felt like a dagger to me. I tweeted that in the moment. And then the bench was emptied by about the four-minute mark of the fourth quarter. Um, there was the first appearance in a, in a Hawks uniform for Garrison Matthews and the first time since he returned for Bruno Fernando. But uh, not a lot else to be excited about in that particular performance. And uh, the bench was cleared. Vic Krejci, uh, Aaron Holiday came back in. Jalen Johnson, who did not play at all. And we'll do this for a second now before we get on to the rest of the individual breakdowns. But Jalen Johnson did not play in the competitive portion of this game. And I really, really, really don't like that. Um, I, I kind of predicted that he might be the guy to lose playing time. Um, that was not exactly shocking after the acquisition of Sadiq, of, of Sadiq Bey, who they view as a 3-4. I still I've thought the whole time that AJ Griffin's more firmly entrenched than Jalen is in the rotation. But I also said, and I believe this now, I'd be trying to play Jalen. I think he's too talented to not play. I think he brings a different elements to the table. The Hawks don't really have anybody else on the, on the roster. He's been playing fairly well for a while now. And I think there's nothing wrong with playing 10 guys on a regular basis. In the second half, if he doesn't have it or whatever, you can cut it down to nine or eight, eight or nine after halftime. But I'd be trying to play Jalen every night. And the first time the Hawks are healthy, they don't play Jalen Johnson. And like that's a little bit scary for the, for the future. Maybe that'll change after the All-Star break. I, I don't want to make too much of a one-game sample size with Bay. Um, in the mix and uh, you know in uniform and all that, but uh, not a great start in my mind for the rotation, uh, especially when you throw in the Aaron Holiday curveball there. I don't really, that was not that was a perfectly designed situation to like make people mad, which I understand. But I'd be more upset about Jalen not playing than I do about Aaron Holiday playing one stint to try to, try to change things up when the Hawks were already getting killed at that point in time. Anyway, we'll leave it there for now, and we'll have more on the individual players in a second. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Today's show is brought to you by PrizePix. If you're in the market for a DFS option this year, make sure to check out the award-winning app at PrizePix. It's daily fantasy made easy over at PrizePix. It's amazing. I know that you will love it. It's so easy to use. I've been playing there for a couple of years now, and it's really a breeze to operate over at PrizePix. All you have to do is pick two to six players and actually choose whether they have more or less than a certain number of points or rebounds or assists or any other stat you're looking for in the NBA. And at PrizePix, one of the 25 times the money on your entry. They have, they have sports across the board that includes beyond the NBA, stuff like college basketball and the NFL and college football, MLB, NHL, PGA, soccer, esports, and much more. And the whole entry can be done in just a minute or less. It's that easy and that quick. Plus, it's, it's just you against the numbers. They have safe and fast withdrawals at PrizePix. They're operating in more than 30 states, including Georgia, and they're also in Canada. Download the app right now at PrizePix or go to PrizePix.com to sign up and play DFS immediately. And first-time users get 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. Don't forget to use that promo code Locked On and sign up for the instant deposit match up to $100. Check it out now at PrizePix. All right, and as you might expect, not a ton of positivity in the player-by-player breakdowns here, but we'll try to do our best to give you the full scope of what transpired in this game. We'll go to the bench first. Um, I thought Sadiq Bey struggled, um, not not terribly surprisingly. He had five rebounds, uh, three defensive, and two points on four shots in 18 minutes. He's definitely uh, not quite up to speed defensively, it seems. It was better than it was on Monday in terms of like knowing where to be, but I'm sure that he could benefit from practices. The Hawks will probably have at least two practices 
once they get back from the all-star break before they actually play a game again, that will be huge for Bay in particular, in addition to Matthews and Fernando. But um, it's still a TBD on Sadiq Bay for sure. I know I keep getting pushed back on that. If you watch the tape back in Detroit, I've been trying to watch some Sadiq Bay stuff going back to the Pistons. Defensively, it has not been very good this season and really before the season as well. So we'll see what that looks like. But um, I'm still going to give him an incomplete and not, not, and not in a bad way just because he's not had um, enough time to get sort of fully entrenched on the defensive side of the floor. And also while we're here, I got to push back on this as well about Sadiq, like, you know, needing time to integrate because the Hawks play that, you know, don't, they don't, they don't have a system, whatever defensively you can quibble all you want to. And I, and I, I certainly have quibbled with the Hawks offensive approach. It is very simplistic and to the point where I don't agree with a lot of what they do in offense, but defensively uh, is the more difficult side to integrate in the, at the NBA level, I know it's not always easy to like pick that, pick that up unless you're paying close attention to it. But defensively, every team is running different stuff. you got to be on the same page, communicating all that stuff. That's the more challenging side of the floor, which is where Bay already struggles more in offense anyway. So that's why I'm saying that. Anyway, to the rest of the bench. Um, Akonwu had kind of a rough night. He had four fouls, 19 minutes, three back from the floor. Just wasn't finishing very well around the rim. He was not alone by any means, but didn't have his best stuff in this one. Um, I thought Griffin was pretty good. Um, AJ's been struggling a little bit in the last couple of weeks, but he was much better in this game, much more aggressive. Uh, 12 points. Did have, did have 12 shots. Actually, was um, 0-2 from three. But a nice floater game for sure. I think probably a little bit too much floater game at times. Probably needed to be taking a little bit, a few more threes. But I thought he was pretty good. And he was definitely their bright spot off the bench in this game. And then uh, Bogey had eight, eight points, three assists, three rebounds in 24 minutes. He played less. That was probably encouraged by me anyway. Um, defensively, kind of rough as he has been for a while. But um, the passing was decent. Uh, I want to see Bogey shoot more threes and get, just kind of let it fly when he's out there. It's kind of why that's definitely the, the main appeal of him being out there. So not his best performance either. Um, to the starters, I thought Collins struggled. Um, I'm not sure if he was right physically. In fact, I'm sure he wasn't. He did not look particularly good coming off of the hip stuff. And then you throw in the 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 headbutt at the end of the game um, after after the hard fall. He didn't make shots. He was only two of five from three. I'm sorry, two of five from two. Oh, five, oh, three from three at the line for four attempts. But definitely didn't look like his normal self. And hopefully he's back to full strength because defensively they need him pretty badly and offensively he's a, still a very potent player. Um, I thought DeJounte Murray was quite bad by his standards in this game. Six points on 12 shots. Uh, that speaks for itself, obviously. Um, three assists, five rebounds. Just didn't have a lot of juice in this one by any means. I thought Trey was better than the numbers. Trey had 19 points on 4-14 from the floor and 1-6 from three. He didn't make shots. He got to the line 13 times. But even then, he missed three free three, three throws. So Hawks just couldn't make shots in this game from anywhere. Did have 11 assists and one turnover. So I thought Trey, actually, of all the guys on the on the team, I thought probably had the best overall game but just didn't shoot it well like nobody did other than hunter who we'll get who'll get to now um deandre hunter 20 points to weed the team in scoring he was seven of 11 on twos and two of four on threes um one at the line did have three assists and two blocks he was pretty good i thought uh defensively i think he was probably worse than usual to be honest but offensively he was the one guy who was who managed to be efficient as a scorer in this game that's obviously a positive sign and then capella 10 points eight rebounds had a block and a steal it was mostly just Capella stuff. He was probably a step slow um, by his standards, but I thought he was just fine out there. Um, but, you know, other than, uh, honestly, you could probably argue, and I think I did during the game with my friend Jared Duman, who uh, covers the Knicks and also the entire NBA uh, across multiple platforms. I think at one point in the game, maybe even the entire game, R.J. Barrett was probably the best Hawks player, which is going to be kind of funny. Um, Barrett was very bad for the Knicks in this game. And that kind of allowed the Hawks to stick around for a while when everybody else was playing very well for New York. But uh, yeah, not, not a lot to be uh, positive about in this game. Only a couple guys were like actively bad. I thought you know Murray in particular was very bad for his normal standards. And I think Collins too was pretty bad given his uh, limitations. But everybody else is just kind of meh. And the Hawks just couldn't make shots. I mean, 
Only one guy on the team made more than one three. It was Hunter. And, uh, you know, Trey and Ajante were, oh, uh, sorry, were one of 10 combined from three. You throw an 0-2 from from uh, from Griffin. Um, one of the one of the five makes, by the way, was from Garrison Matthews in garbage time. So they only had four threes before Garrison hit one at the very very end of the game, and it was just kind of a mess across the board. All right, before we get out of here, obviously the All Star break is now here, and uh, by the results this evening, which I'm checking now to make sure I'm right. Yes, I am. Um, the Hawks are eighth in the East still. They are three games behind Miami for the seven seed, and three and a half behind New York at this stage. Um, the Knicks are. You know, not great, but they obviously were better than the Hawks in this game. No question about that. And uh, Atlanta is closer to 9 and 10 than they are to 7. In fact, the Hawks are closer right now. This is a pretty, uh, I would say, unflattering stat. The Hawks are closer at this moment to 11, a.k.a. being out of the play-in, than they are to being the 7 seed. They are 3 behind the 7 seed and only 2.5 ahead of the 11 seed. Um, they only 1 ahead of the 10 seed. So the Hawks have some margin, but not a lot. And I think if you made me choose right now, as we'll come back to probably later on in this uh, in this All-Star break, I still think the Hawks are likely to finish in the top eight um, before the play-in actually arrives. But nothing is assured by any means. The Hawks are not playing that well right now. And, uh, you know, they're barely ahead of the Wizards and the Raptors and the Bulls are the Bulls and they're kind of a weird team. Uh, the Heat and the Knicks are ahead of them. The Nets could come back a little bit, but they actually still have a decent roster. And also the, the Nets, um, I got a question about this today. The Nets are five and a half games ahead of the Hawks. Like that's a huge number of games. Um, when you talk about the simple size that's still remaining for the Hawks because again, the All-Star break is not the halfway point of the season. The Hawks have played 59 of 82 games. They have 23 games left. They have played well over two thirds of their season at this point. So keep that in mind throughout the uh, next couple of weeks. Um, next game on the agenda for the Hawks is next Friday at home against Cleveland. That'll be a challenge for sure, but uh, we're going to have plenty of time to get into that later on. I will have podcasts between now and then. If you're a new listener, first of all, Godspeed for making it to the end of this episode. I appreciate that in a big way. But uh, even if you're not a new listener, if you're a returning listener that you know Hawks fan friends in your life, please share it with them. We will be active throughout the All-Star break. Um, I will have at least one episode between now and the actual weekend festivities in Salt Lake City. Probably going to be Thursday night into the Fridays as my guest, so please stay tuned for that. And then I'll have a couple of episodes next week in addition to that um, between then and the game on Friday. So I will not be going away. I'll have some time off. I'll probably have, I'll be a little bit lighter on the schedule than usual because not, there won't be games happening. But I, I, I generally don't take any uh, long breaks unless I absolutely have to. Even in the offseason, we still roll two, three times a week. So uh, – please subscribe to the podcast. Number one, uh, that, that'd be a huge thing to do to, to support the show. Um, also follow us on Twitter at lots on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland uh, ratings and reviews are definitely encouraged. Click that auto download button on multiple platforms. The best thing you could possibly do to support the show. In addition to all the things I already said is to just click and download the episodes on multiple platforms. And also YouTube is very useful. Um, you know, likes and subscribe and subscriptions there as well. And I appreciate all the support. Also follow me if you'd like to on the written side, patreon.com slash VT I do appreciate all of the support always for people to listen and watch this podcast as well as follow me on social platforms. And uh, hopefully you uh, enjoyed with some of the coverage in the last couple of days. Obviously the, the performance of the Hawks not been the best in the world, but uh, still plenty of time if you want to be an optimist at the end of this um, at the end of this long first half stretch. And I think everyone, and I mean everyone, needs a break at this point in time. So stay tuned. You'll have Griffin uh, on Salt Lake City over the next few days and uh, plenty to uh, attend to if you like to do that. And if not, take a step back and then await the Hawks back on the floor in just, what, nine days at this point in time. So it isn't the longest break in the world. Anyway, stay tuned. I appreciate you listening to the podcast, and we'll see you all next time.